Welcome to the Gas Street Podcast. Our vision as a church is to be light for the city. We really hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. It's great to worship with you. And it's so encouraging all that God is doing. We are living in challenging times. We're so aware, aren't we, worldwide of tensions. We're aware of what's going on in our nation. We're aware of what's going on in our lives. But let us not forget, God is at work. His kingdom has come and He is advancing. We're so encouraged to hear this week some stories of God at work in people's lives. An email we received, I'd like to express how blessed I was by the service at Gas Street last Sunday. Every word spoken was an encouragement to me and for not the first time, it was the exact word for the season I was in. In fact, Cookie, don't, you don't know this, but it was your word you gave. I can't remember what it was. Spoke real life into this person. They go on to say, last Sunday, I was awaiting a job interview for the coming Wednesday. And as I'd been made redundant after 24 years of service, I was nervous. The Wednesday after, I went for my interview, which went really well, and felt at peace with the whole thing, expecting to hear if I was going to be shortlisted for the second interview. I got home to find an email from the company to say that they wanted to offer me the role immediately as I was the standout candidate. Their words, not mine. I give God, my Father, all the glory. Amazing. I love that. Someone coming to church, having lost their job, having worked for this company for 24 years, understandably anxious and, "Ah, how is this going to work out? God speaks to them. The next week they get offered a new job, God's provision. So if you need a new job, if you're looking for a new job, Lord, I'm serious. I pray that you would begin to open up doors for people in their work. For anyone looking for a job, I pray that we'd get more and more stories like this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Uh, Another encouraging story. My friend, who is highly intelligent and previously 100% atheist, encountered the Holy Spirit in an extremely powerful way last year at Gastry. God had clearly been working in his heart because he had already surprised me by saying he wanted to come to church when he came to visit. My friend was overwhelmed during the worship with a sense of love and peace, unlike anything he'd ever experienced and was clearly touched deeply by the Holy Spirit. When he came down again to visit, a couple of months after his first visit, he knew it was decision time. And during another great service, he again felt the Spirit, this time giving him certainty and peace, and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus. Last weekend, 110 students went away together. And media will tell you that young people are leaving the church in droves, but don't believe it. 110, that's just students going away for a weekend, sharing lots of things, among those things, COVID, with one another. Uh, But God, by all accounts, did some extraordinary things. On Wednesday, I had the privilege to worship with uh, the Farsi community who were meeting at St. Luke's, about 40 people gathered, and to pray and worship with them in Farsi, knowing some of the challenges that they've been through was profoundly moving. As we are gathered here worshiping, I've just come from St. Luke's, where a whole community were gathering to worship. We've just started today for the first time, Gas Street South, I just got a message. There's about 130 people gathered near Shirley to pray and to worship and to bring light to that area. God is at work. And whilst all of that's going on, let's not forget church online. Currently, 270 devices. And there's this kind of equation you do because obviously one device might be two people watching. It might be a whole family watching. 
But that equates to about 486 people watching now with us whilst we're here in this building. And people are tuning in from Sydney, Adelaide, Cambridge, South Korea, Somerset, Derbyshire, Plymouth, Wolverhampton, Milton Keynes, New Zealand, as well as all across the city of Birmingham. Isn't that amazing? God is at work. His kingdom is coming. We're a part of it. And so, as we often say as a church, who would want to be anywhere else doing anything else other than giving our lives to Jesus Christ and being a community that makes a difference in this city? Jesus is the hope of the world. He's the light that shines in the darkness. And it is Jesus that is the hope for your life. He's the hope for your family. He's the hope for your finances. He's the hope for your business. He's the hope for your work colleagues. He's the hope for your neighbourhoods. And Jesus' plan is that he would equip and empower us as his children, as his people, to carry his presence, to carry his love and light wherever we go. And so today I want to look and ask the question, how can we carry the presence of God well? How can we carry the presence? And we're going to look at a story in 2 Samuel 6 about King David bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6 is going to come up on the screen, but I always encourage you, follow on your device if you've got a Bible, follow, just to make sure I'm not making this up. 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who's enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which is on the hill. Uzzah and Ehoah, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new ark, the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ehoah was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of this irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Peraz Uzzah. Peraz meaning outbreak against David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Who would not love to be part of the Gittite tribe? Some of you probably would have been. Uh, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. 
They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in places inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. And after he'd finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. And all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servant as any vulgar fellow would. Woo! You don't want to mess with Michael. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. It's like amazing like marriage row going on here. Chose me rather than your father or anyone else from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. Now, to understand this slightly strange story, we need to understand the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark represented the very presence of God. God had directed Moses with very clear instructions around dimensions and how it was to be pulled together. This Ark of the Covenant, it was made of acacia wood. It was covered both outside and inside with gold. Uh, there's a picture that's going to come up of it. Cherubim is, is absolutely stunning. And on the side were rings, and through the rings were inserted these poles. And it was on these poles that the priests would carry the ark. Inside the ark were the Ten Commandments, the Torah. It had um, Aaron's staff and also the manna, the, the miraculous bread that God provided as the people of Israel escaped out of Egypt. And along with these instructions, it was clearly set out how the ark was to be carried. When the people were moving, they'd pack up the tent of meeting the tabernacle. The way it was to be carried was that the, the sons of Kohath, the priests, would carry the ark on their shoulders. In Numbers 4 verse 15, it says, After Aaron and his sons had finished covering the holy furnishings and all the holy articles, and when the camp is ready to move, only then are the Kohathites to come up and do the carrying. But they must not touch the holy things or they will die. The Kohathites are to carry those things that are in the tent of meeting. So the Kohathites would, would carry the ark. But even then, if they were to reach inside to touch the holy things, they'd be struck down dead. So holy, so awesome, so precious, so completely other was God and this ark that represented his presence. And so we fast forward to this time of King David and the ark for 50 years had laid in hiddenness. Saul, David's predecessor, had not sought the Lord, had no interest in the ark of the covenant, no interest in God's presence or God's leading and Israel had slowly turned their hearts away from God but God raises up David a man after his own heart. And King David is desperate to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. I mean, it was so random that it was now kept in this house of Abinadab. And David said, no, no, I want to bring God back to the heart of this nation. That which is holy and pure, I want to bring it back to Jerusalem. And so they gather thousands upon thousands of people 
David absolutely goes to town. They celebrate this huge celebration. We read that they're celebrating with all their might, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, cymbals. It would have been quite something. I mean, a phenomenal symphony. It would have made Glastonbury look tame. And they're worshipping with all their might. And David is thinking, look, technology has moved on. We now have wheels and carts. I'm going to place on a cart, a new cart, the Ark of the Covenant. Now, don't be intimidated by my DIY skills, but I've made my own Ark of the Covenant. Thank you. And also, I was looking at what it cost to ship one in, and it was about £8,000. So I didn't think it was kind of worth church budget. So I just, you know, wasn't going to be intimidated by that, knocked something together my own. Um, but this is pretty much the same dimensions as the Ark of the Covenant. Just a little kind of advertisement. I'm going to be doing a series on Noah, and uh, I'm going to build a life-size ark. Which <laughs> so David thought, it's heavy. Acacia wood, laid with gold. Let's put it on wheels. And the oxen can pull the ark along. It's going to be quicker. It's going to be faster. It's going to be more impressive. You know, nothing but the best for God. And they're celebrating and they're worshipping with all their might. But as the oxen are pulling the ark, the covenant along, suddenly it stumbles. And the ark is going to fall over. And Uzzah, who's the son of Abinadab, where the ark had been held for so many years, reaches out and he stops the ark from falling. He steadies it. I'm thinking, good on you. You know, you saved off an absolute disaster, but no. God's anger burns against Uzzah and he strikes him down dead. It seems unbelievably savage and severe. But what is going on here? Why is God's anger burning against Uzzah, against King David and against the people of Israel? Well, God is angry because the people of Israel had decided to worship their way rather than his way. God had clearly instructed them about how the ark was to be carried, how the people of Israel to respond to him, but they ignored all of that and they said, we're going to do it our way, the way we want, the way that seems best to us. But worship is all about putting Jesus at the centre and responding to him in the way that he calls and he leads us to follow him. I'd love to, Taku, Tim, Nick, come on up. Um, Cookie, you come up as well. Um, you're going to be my priests and you're going to carry the ark. So, <clears throat> go Cookie, I'm believing in you to carry it for these guys. So if you can lift it up and try and put it on your shoulders. It is, it is safe. It is. I, I didn't do a risk assessment form. I have to, but get underneath it, okay? Let me move, let me move the wheels. Um, so what I want you guys to do is... Okay, why don't you just take it down those stairs and bring it, or just walk to one side, one side to the other. I think Taku's the weak link here. Now, to carry this ark, covered in gold, Tim, you're all over the show here. 
Oh my goodness. And just bring it back up around the center. It was heavy. Back up around, okay. Just <laughs> back up and around here. You can see to carry it effectively, it needed them to be coordinated, to be in step with one another. It was, bring it up here and you can place it back down. It was going to be heavy, <laughs> exhausting. <laughs> it was going to be slow and difficult. Pop it down. <laughs> Pop it down. There we go, there we go. Thank you very much. Give it up to our volunteers. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But the bottom line is God said, you carry the ark. You don't pull it on a cart. Listen to this. If we want to be a people that carry the presence of God wherever we go, we carry God's presence in his way, not our way. We must carry it God's way. The theologian Dave Peterson writes this, Worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with him on the terms that he proposes and in the way that he alone makes possible. We worship God through Jesus Christ, through his blood shed on the cross, by the empowering presence of his spirit that awakens us to understand all that God has won and secured for us. And we worship his way, not ours. And we cannot worship God our way and expect his glory to fall. We cannot turn a blind eye to the commands and to the ways of the Lord and expect to be effective in carrying his presence into the world. You can sing and dance and shout as loud as you want in church. You can attend as many Christian festivals and conferences as you like. You can put up on your social media pages as many Bible verses as you like. But if you are not surrendered and living in obedience to God's word, you are missing the mark. And we will fail to effectively carry God's glory into a broken world. It's why the prophet Samuel says to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience to God is better than sacrifice. You know, David and the Israelites, everything about it seemed like they were worshiping and honoring God. But they missed the mark and God's anger was burning against them. Just because something looks impressive Just because a ministry has huge numbers of followers, there's a lot of hype around that ministry. It does not mean God is necessarily in it. And we must never confuse crowd momentum with Holy Spirit activity. And so what are the areas in your life where you are worshiping and singing with all your might, but actually you're not living out in obedience to God's word, to God's command? I think about sex. I think about sex quite a lot, actually. But, <laughs> but in terms of sex, God, very clearly in Scripture, says that the gift of sex is to be enjoyed in the context 
of marriage, the covenantal relationship of marriage. But that seems so archaic, so out of touch, so old-fashioned to our world today and to many in the church, and we ignore God's commands. And we don't hold precious this gift of sex. And yet we come to church and we sing and we shout with all our might, but in this area, we're not living to God's command. Think of the area of giving. God clearly says out of a response to his lavish love, all that he's given us, we are to put him first in our finances and we are to give. And the Bible talks a huge amount about tithing, giving 10% as followers of God. And yet very few in the church tithe. And we focus on, you know, the cost of living is going up, which I 100% really appreciate. Or we think about all these other things that we want to buy for ourselves and, and we don't tithe. We don't give generously. A whole bunch of research has been done and if every follower of Jesus Christ was to tithe, the world would look remarkably different. So many lives would be radically changed. But we justify not giving. We justify not giving generously. And yet we gather and we sing and we shout and we raise our hands. We wonder why God's presence and God's movement in our life seems absent. To worship, to carry the presence, we firstly, we need to do it God's way. And after Uzzah has died, the ark is taken to uh, the household of Obed-Edom. And the ark is held there and God begins to bless their household remarkably. And so David is noticing this and David is angry, but he begins to recognize where he'd got it wrong and he has a period where he repents and he chooses to align himself, not to his way, but to God's way. And so this time when he says, we need to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, he gets the ark and he gets the priests and the priests, as we so beautifully had demonstrated, begins to put the ark on their shoulders. And this time, every six steps, they stop and they sacrifice a fattened calf and a bull. And this journey to Jerusalem, it had been about 10 miles. So you can imagine it's a long journey, especially when you're stopping every six steps and you're getting out and making all these sacrifices. It would have been slow and it would have been incredibly costly. But David was learning to carry the presence of God. We need to do it God's way, but we also, we do it at God's speed. Galatians 5, 25 says this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. David had been trying to do it fast. Let's get it there. Let's get the job done. Woo! But God was slowing him right down, teaching him about radical sacrifice in worship. A couple of Sundays ago, Rach was preaching at the 6 p.m. here. And I was at home putting all our kids to bed. We've got five kids. And many of you know we are adopting a beautiful little girl. She's 15 months. And she's seriously the greatest gift to our family. And such joy. And I was at home. I was very unsuccessfully trying to get her into bed. I was in her room. It was pitch black. Kids were at large, you know, playing goodness knows what on their computers, um, just being honest. And so I'm, I'm there holding this beautiful little girl. And 
as I'm there, I'm feeling mixed emotions. Part of me is feeling a bit of frustration because I hate missing out being at church. I love being at church. I, you know, I wanted to be at the six to see all that God was doing. And then I was there thinking, oh gosh, you know, there's so much going on, so much to do. And you know, God, you've put this call on me to lead worship and to pastor. I need to be out there pastoring and ministering to people. And I was aware of a friend leading worship in Colombia, my brother preaching in America. And I'm here at home in a black room trying to get this baby to fall asleep. And like, wow, God, it seems crazy. I just need to be out there doing stuff. Momentum, speed, let's get this thing going. And as I'm sitting in all of this frustration, I, I begin to sense God's favor and just God's pleasure and God's delight over me, over this moment, taking the time to create a safe environment for a beautiful little girl. And as I'm there, I feel God whisper to me and say, you know, Tim, that which feels like it is slowing you down is actually the thing that is keeping you in step. The thing that feels like it's slowing you down from all the things that you think you should do to make a difference, to bring God's kingdom come, were actually keeping me in step with the Holy Spirit. And the worst thing is to race ahead of the Holy Spirit. God at times slows us down. He sends challenge and struggle and at times pain and frustration. And we think it's an affliction, but actually God often uses it to keep us in step with his Holy Spirit. God operates at a completely different speed to us. It might be in your place of work, in refusing to lie or to compromise your values it slowed your progression down. You've been overlooked for that promotion. You haven't got that raise that you feel you deserve. And you can feel frustrated. But in choosing God's way over the world's way, I tell you this, it's not slowing you down. It's keeping you in step with the spirit of the living God. Let's never confuse speed with the work of the Spirit. God wants to teach us to be attentive to Him and to keep in step with Him. I love the story that Artie Kendall, a preacher, author, shares about this couple who was sent to Israel to minister there, a British couple, and they were living in Jerusalem and they discovered in the eaves of their roof a dove was living. And they'd be out and about and they'd see this dove kind of flying around and they were thinking, this is amazing. Talk about, you know, the dream. We're living in Jerusalem and there's a dove living in our house and it doesn't get better than this. But what they noticed was when they would argue, when they would slam doors, I mean, this would never happen in our household, I hasten to add. (laughs) But the dove would fly away and they'd wonder, will it return? And then it would return. But they noticed when there was aggression or anger or loud noises, the dove that was so sensitive would fly away and They loved having the dove kind of commune with them. And one day their husband said, either the dove adjusts to us or we adjust to the dove. If we want this dove to remain, we're gonna have to change our ways. And in the Bible, we see the spirit often in the form of a dove, this sensitive bird. And what we often do is we, run ahead with our lives, doing it our way. And we pray, God, come and bless this, bless this meeting. Now bless this. And I've got all these things going on. God, I need you now. Come on, help me. And I believe he's saying, 
You start blessing what I'm doing and you watch the difference you begin to see me make in your life. Imagine a dove sitting on your shoulder. You would change the way you walk, the way you step to ensure that that precious dove remained on your shoulder. And in the same way, God is calling us to be so attentive and sensitive to where he's leading that we might keep in step with his spirit so that we could see his kingdom come in greater measure, in more stunning ways, wherever we place our feet. And as I've reflected on this amazing story of all these priests carrying this ark to Jerusalem, stopping every six steps, to make sacrifices, feeling the weight on their shoulders, I found myself thinking of another priest who carried a weight on his shoulders. The great high priest who carried a cross on his shoulder, the weight of the sin of humanity. Your sin, my sin. He carried it on his back and step by step, he made his way to Calvary. His body broken and tortured. He was crucified on that cross. His blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. An incredible act of obedience that would change the world forever. And he did it. He did it for you, but ultimately he did it out of obedience to his Father. A beautiful act of worship and devotion. And over the years, I've been involved in many conversations around worship and I've heard people say, you know, true, proper worship is is hymns, rich theology, anthemic melodies, that is proper worship. And then others say, no, 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 true and proper worship. It's Bethel, it's Maverick City, it's Upper Room. We all sway and we all spontaneous and we all just sing the same song again and again and again. No, 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 no. Let me settle this debate once and for all. Are you ready? True and proper worship is when we carry a cross. When we deny ourselves and we obey the way of a father and we put the cross on us and we sacrifice and we follow Jesus. It's never been about the songs and the style. It's always and it will only and it will evermore be about Jesus Christ, honouring him and following him. And as Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. You know, I started by sharing all the things that God is doing. In our community, it's stunning. And listen, we've only just got going. We've only just got going. But in all the activity, in all the busyness of life, it is so important that we learn to be sensitive to the Spirit. We need to carry God's presence wherever we go. And of course, God's presence is always with us. But also there's a way of stewarding the manifest presence of God, His Spirit, and allowing ourselves to be led by Him, which will mean crazy things happening. Lives being changed. It will mean you're chatting to a friend who's talking about being sick and you'll say, let me pray for you. And you'll lay a hand on them and you'll awkwardly pray in a pub or wherever you are and they'll get healed. It will mean someone coming to you in distress at work and 
You'll say, do you know the way I manage stress is by praying to Jesus who comforts me, who strengthens me, who gives me purpose. And you'll end up leading them to Christ by the photocopying machine. It, it will mean suddenly uh, you make calls to put God first in terms of your finances or your sexuality or the way you live your life and people will start changing around you. But it will happen as we learn to be sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God. We've lived through the pandemic of COVID-19, but there is a far more serious pandemic coming our way around mental health. The numbers and the impact and the pain it is causing is devastating. And our only hope is Jesus Christ. And as we step into our offices, as we share with our families and our friends, let's believe that God can use us to carry His presence, His peace, His hope, His mercy, His healing, His freedom, His victory, His joy. Everywhere we step. Everywhere we step. Why don't we stand? And in a moment, uh, Nick's going to come and lead us in communion. Where we can celebrate this great sacrifice Jesus has made. But just before we do, let's pray. God, would you come by your spirit now? And for anyone here, just straight off the bat, if you need to repent, if you need to get right with God, if you know that there have been things you've been doing, that aren't his will. Around money, around sex, around choices, around the way you speak of people, around the way you've hardened your heart against someone, around the way where you're manipulating or bending the truth at work. Here's your moment to say, God, I'm sorry. And then boldly, confidently receive his forgiveness. Leave this place free of any shame. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for where we race ahead and we do it our way, not yours. Where we go with what we think seems best in terms of the world and we forget to look to what your word says about how we should live a life that honors and glorifies you. And when you come forward to receive the bread and wine, you receive that forgiveness and you let go of that area of sin. But Lord, also, I pray that you come now by your spirit. Raise up the prophets. Give us ears to hear you. Give us eyes to see what you're doing. Give us a boldness to step up. And even now, I think God's gonna begin to put in mind people or situations that you need to respond to. Maybe someone you need to call tomorrow, maybe today. Something you need to do differently at work. Something God's just saying, you need to step out on that. And we need to do it to keep in step with the Spirit. Maybe for others, it's something you need to let go of, to slow down. But Lord, come by your Spirit and lead us, we pray. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. If you want to find out more, visit our website, gastric.org, or follow us on Instagram at Church. 